guys. Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And we have a fun episode for you guys today. We have Eric Repka and his buddy Stein, who I still don't, I don't have Stein's last name. It's just Stein. They are uh, expedition <laughs> cameramen who have gone through a ton of different adventures and a ton of different journeys. We're going to jump around to like a bunch of different cool stuff that these guys have done. Dangerous things. They have uh, some amazing stories. So, and as I talk about in the episode, yeah, like some of the asides on their story and they're like, oh, by the way, while we were doing that and then the launch into a different story, that story would have been like the craziest story I would ever have to tell. Yeah. It, the, and yet for the them, tangents, it's just an aside. Like, yeah, the, oh yeah, we also ran into Russia. Yeah. The tangents are amazing. <laughs> yeah. The tangents are better than anything I've ever done. Um, we have Eric, who is an ex- expedition cameraman. Uh, he would still call himself a ski bum with a camera. Uh, uh, dirt bike cameraman and expedition addict. And uh, I said, I said, Hey Eric, how would you think Stein would describe himself for the intern? Yeah. He's like, Oh yeah, exactly the same uh, ski bump <laughs> with a camera. So um, we heard about him from uh, Eric is who I got a hold of first from uh, James, James Barkman, Barkman, one of yeah. the other intrepid explorers that we've had on the podcast. Uh, we got a long episode, so I want to get right into it. But before we do, what have you got for us? Yeah, let's take a minute to talk about our awesome sponsor, Petrol Box. Petrol Box is a monthly service made specifically for the automotive enthusiasts. All the car guys and girls in your life would love this. It makes a great gift with Christmas coming up quick. Each month, they carefully select items including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, t-shirts, publications, all the latest and greatest in the industry sent right there to your doorstep. And there's two levels of subscription to choose from. The Petrobox Basic costs less than 20 bucks a month, while the Petrobox Premium gets you even more gear for $39.95 a month. Check them out at mypetrolbox.com and be sure to use the code OVERCREST at checkout to get $6 off your first month's order. So one of the themes that you'll you'll see and hear about throughout all of this is, eh, fuck it, let's go. <laughs> and, and I think that maybe, I wish we could title the episode that, but obviously <laughs> we can't. Um, and it's, it's it's really interesting, some of the stories that you hear about the the spontaneity and, and, it, just, yes. and just going and doing things. And a lot of that is being young, right? You're young, you don't well, have as many they, responsibilities. They talk about how they basically built a lifestyle around it. Yes, they built their entire life around it. And it started very hard. I mean, it sounds yeah. like they, they suffered quite a bit. So I watched their film Full Circle, where they documented their attempt to be the first ever to mountain ski uh, a descent of volcano called Corcovado in the Chilean Patagonia. So we're going to talk a lot about that. If you want to watch that film, it's in the show notes. It's been in some independent film festivals. It's really, really, really great. Uh, It's basically a journey from the uh, beach through rainforest to a snowy peak to, uh, (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's, the breadth of it is crazy. I mean, you watch this film, they're, they're, they got skis and ice gear climbing through a rainforest. It's, it's nuts. The contrast is really, really crazy. So we'll talk about that. Um, Let's get right into it. Let's call up Eric and Stein. Hey, Eric, it's Chris and Jake from Overcrest. Are you here? Hello? Hey, what's going yep, on, man? I'm here. <laughs> <All right. laughs> How are you? Awesome. I'm, I'm very good. Uh, so I talked to uh, my my friend James Barkman, and we've had him on the podcast. And I reached out to him like two months ago. I'm like, hey, man, you know, I really like, you know, following your stories. You know, it was great having you on the podcast to talk about exploring. Do you want to hear the story about how we actually met James? It's got to be good. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> Let's hear it. Yeah, so we were actually on a climbing trip in Huaraz, Peru, and uh, we were sitting upstairs in this, like, the one place that had, like, IPA beer, and uh, it had these big windows kind of overlooking this town square, and we watched this dude roll up on his motorcycle with these two, like, leather bags, and he was wearing this, like, Indiana Jones hat, jumps <laughs> off, and that was James, and he walks upstairs and then starts talking to us, and he's like, yeah, I'm doing this big ride, I'm like, oh, that's cool. 
And then just then downstairs, uh, we watched the cops come up to his bike and they start looking at it and they start writing something down. And James like literally tried to like hide under the table. And we're like, <laughs> what? And he's like, oh, my bike hasn't been registered forever. We're doing this huge trip. And we just thought he was like the loosest kid at all time. They told us the story about like a friend. They had like a near death experience like the day before. And we're like, okay. You guys need to like sort some shit out, but uh, that was the first time we met James. So James was hiding <laughs> under the table from the cops when they were going to seize his motorcycle. Peru. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, they're, they're going to come search the bike. So like, it doesn't have tags. It hasn't been registered for like a year and a half. I'm like, whoa, like that's a lot. <laughs> How did he make it that far? Is the question. I don't know, man. That's Latin a lot America, of borders to cross. South America, who knows? He had the he had quite the look going on. I have another friend that actually met James totally different friend that met him butt naked in Baja eating pel- or, uh, seagulls, not pelicans. He was hunting se- uh, seagulls with a sh- like a shotgun and eating them for food. Why was he naked? So, uh, apparently he was on a quest. That was his, uh, his moment. I don't know. Wow. To, other friend, Will Lyons. Man, I hope he, I mean, I hope he got what he wanted out of that quest. Wow. So, I think he did. I think he did. Yeah, I bet he did. I bet he says that dude is, is dialed. I, I really liked, I like James. He's an incredible human being. Um, so tell me about uh, this, this full circle adventure. Like how did this start? Where did you guys begin? Yeah. So basically um, a couple of years ago, Stein and I um, started working with this filmmaker, Rafael Pease. And uh, Rafa is this like filmmaker and activist from Chile. Um, so he's a professional snowboarder. Um, and he wanted to go do this project called Tupangatu which was basically going to be a first winter ascent of a 6,000 meter volcano. And then a first ski descent in the middle of Chile. So uh, long story short, he ended up throwing the trip together. They had a smaller crew and then Stein had just got offered a spot to go be on a boat. Actually, he was going to sail the Northeast passage with uh, this famous explorer, Mike Horn and Borga Ausland. I want to hear kind of about your, your full circle experience and what kind of inspired you you and Stein to go take this trip. Was there something that was like a, an impetus to wanting to do this? Yeah. Well, basically um, there was another, we have another good friend in Raphael Pease who's a filmmaker, uh, snowboarder activist. And uh, he was putting together a trip to go do a first winter ascent of this mountain outside of Santiago, Chile called Tupangatu. Um, it's like a 21,000 foot peak right outside Santiago that uh, has a bunch of mining companies that own all the access to the road. So it's kind of like a privatized mountain in a weird way. So okay. not a lot of people are skiing it. Not a lot of people are, are going there. Actually, no one was skiing it. I mean, is it because it's, it's you have to get permission to do it? Or is it just arduous yeah. to get to? Yeah, both. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it was it was terrible. It was, uh, but basically, he invited Stein and I both down um, to go work on this project. Stein ended up getting an offer to go uh, sail the Northeast Passage with uh, Borge Ausland and Mike Horn, the two famous polar explorers. Um, so he was the cameraman on that. So Stein ended up going to do that. I went down to Tupangatu, and it turned out to just be like this heinous suffer fest. We had to like sneak through a gate of the mining company, and we ended up having to walk like 150 miles with uh, like around 160 pounds of gear each to 200 pounds, like just absolutely so uh, when you say suffer fest, I think of, uh, you know, I think that when I think about what you guys do and what James do, James does and, you know, other uh, people with expedition addictions, I guess you could say what they do. It all seems like a suffer fest to me. Like it all yeah. seems like everything's hard, right? It's all hard. Well, I think so, if it was like super easy and luxurious, would you even call that an adventure? No, of course not. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Probably not. The suffering ones, you definitely remember longer. 
All right, so kind of talk us through uh, deciding that you guys need to break into the mining place. Can you just t- well, tell me the story? Did you need to break in, or like, did you have permission? Yeah, it was a weird one. So we tried getting permission. It kind of worked. Actually, that would be another person for another podcast. You should definitely interview is Raphael Pease. Um, he has some cool stories as well. But basically, it was his brainchild, and he's been trying this mountain apparently for four years in a row. So we kind of had permission from one mining company, but then the way the easement worked and the access worked, they couldn't bring in any mules. So it all became a human powered trip from the beginning. So there was like, I think there were six of us on the trip and all of us just loaded up with like the most obscene amounts of weight I've ever carried. So we were doing triple carries. So we basically, you'd carry in a load of bags, you go as far as you could, you drop them, then you'd walk back, pick up another load of bags, then you'd walk in again. Oh man. That, so we ended up doing total walking to get in there was 140 miles um we ended up losing i think i lost like 25 pounds in that trip and we but we ended up doing the first winter ascent of tupangatsu so we were successful and on the way down i got trench foot and ended up losing like four toenails they just like peeled off in my shoe and then right around that exact moment we're all off this huge summit high though um rafa was like yo dude i've been trying to climb this mountain in southern patagonia called corcovado forever He's like, it's still in season. We should go do it like ASAP. And Corcovado happens to be the mountain from the film 180 Degrees South that they attempt at the end of the film. And 180 Degrees South for me and for Stein has been a huge influence in our lives, huge inspiration. So I was like, immediately, yes, absolutely. What can we do? So the minute we got to service, I called Stein and we call, and Stein called his younger brother Thor and he flew down like immediately. So it wasn't planned out like at all. We basically we were actually had, on Oktoberfest when you called. Oh yeah. That was at Oktoberfest. <laughs> he sent me a video with him and Usain Bolt chugging yeah. beer. Singing, yeah, singing <laughs> We Are the Champions by Queen. It was great. <laughs> well it was it must be a pretty impressive trip to be able to pull be pulled away from drinking beers with Usain Bolt and, and decide you're gonna go do something else. That sounds pretty legit. Yeah, it was definitely 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 a fun one. Stein, you should tell him too a little bit about the Northeast Passage, like the lead up to that. um well i mean as you guys are talking about tougher tasks and just genuinely being comfortable in really uncomfortable situations um a lot of our trips in the past of i mean at least for eric and i they've happened within i don't know two weeks of like getting a phone call when you're supporting a project so i mean eric and i like even tupin got to got the call and then even with with full circle it was getting a call within a week of going down there but this uh, these two explorers, Michael and Borg Ausland, did a full crossing of the North Pole, of the Arctic Ocean via the North Pole, and we jumped on Mike's sailboat in Nome, Alaska, sailed through the Bering Strait, pretty much got locked in the ice for, for weeks, and uh, trying to make it as far north as we possibly could, 24-hour work shifts, standing in a mass like 60 feet in the air, looking for open water leads in the horizon. And like the least amount of sleep I've ever gotten in my entire life and just totally stuck in the ice. Um, but then we dropped the two explorers off. Hold on uh, a second. Hold on. <laughs> I, <laughs> hold on a second. I'm thinking of, of the contrast. I want to know how far beyond what I think not a lot of sleep is. Like how far is the human body capable <laughs> well, of going beyond what a normal person thinks in terms of no sleep and, and needing well, to work in an environment <laughs> like that? Well, um, I, I, you know, 
so Mike Horn, his daughter Annika, was turned out to be uh, this guy Bernard Stom has like all the world records for sailing across the oceans by himself. And he put me my uh, kind of whole boat buddy, watch buddy, was Mike Horn's daughter. So I don't know if he just kind of got all I don't know got all weird about it, but he for some odd reason my schedule made the only like my rest period the max amount of hours I had was two hours. Um, so like that was every 10 hours I had a two hour break and it was, that was like that for three weeks. So never did he just really not want you hanging out with hours. his daughter or what? <laughs> I don't know what was going on there, but it was, it was absolutely ridiculous. But yeah, so that was in front of like Mike's window too, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, no, Mike, uh, Mike, Mike is the world's greatest living explorer and also, also most terrifying. He's also the, the most intimidating individual I've ever shook hands with. Uh, like South Africa like special forces. I'm I'm six one two twelve, and he shook my hand and like pretty much I thought he was like, he threw me off. Like I was like wow, very very impressive individual. But yeah, no, we dropped these guys off at eighty five degrees north, like the furthest north of any non ice breaking vessel in history. And then we just dropped them off with their sleds. For, they each had so Borga's 57 years old, Mike Horn's 54 years old, and they both had 400 pounds of gear in their sleds. Are they getting and more or they, less sleep than you've been getting at this point? Oh, they, they've gotten much less sleep. <laughs> like okay, they're, they're so you're, like you're sailing minutes. through the ocean, through the the landlocked or the ice locks, and dropping these guys off, with, and they've already they're already starting out at like a huge disadvantage. <laughs> physically yeah and, and, yeah and um yeah no i mean that was just kind of a crazy thing again like mike was sailing also making sure he doesn't break his boat we at one point we were totally surrounded by ice 360 degrees didn't think we were going to make it any further there's even conversations of us spending winter up there um it was kind of funny because a lot of people i mean we had a crew of i think it was 12 and everyone's like, oh, we got to get back. We got to get back. And honestly, I remember I was texting Eric. I was like, you know, I don't really have a real job. I think it'd be a really <laughs> cool story just to be stuck up here for the whole entire winter. Uh, but obviously, and thankfully, that didn't work out. But I mean, uh, wouldn't that involve no, potentially that didn't work out? Yeah, potentially dying because you <laughs> what guys do you eat. What do you eat? Well, eat, well, uh, well, there's, you know, that's a good question. I think we could have made it like two and a half months. I don't okay. know. Uh, he could have got a seal for sure. Yeah, <laughs> we're with we're with the greatest explorers of our time, so we right. would have figured it out. Yeah, you, <laughs> you would. You know what would have happened is you would have ended up naked, naked hunting a seal with like a seal skull <laughs> around your right, neck. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That, would, that would have been something else. But yeah, no, that that was crazy. Actually, when we got out of the ice, we got boarded by a Russian military ship. That's, oh, that's, that's yeah, you should that tell was that one of the most insane things. So we get out, we get out of the ice after weeks of being locked into the polar ocean. And Mike and Borga are starting this insane few month total darkness uh, ski crossing of the polar ocean. And we're coming down. We've lost two crew, obviously Mike and Borga, and we're ten people. Bernard Stom is our skipper, and we next thing you know, over the intercom, we have one guy named Dima who's Russian thankfully and we hear all this just really abrupt like strict hard chatter mm. over the radio it's like rah, 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 engine off and like we're like what on earth and then it just keeps yelling engine off and we're like we just turn the, then the boat uh the pangaea bernard turns the boat off and we're floating and we're like what the hell is going on here and over the horizon we see this like russian battleship and two, two, I don't even know, like giant military helicopters take off 
And then we're having these helicopters, two helicopters, a battleship, and then these two Zodiacs full of probably six people with AKs each on each one just started coming towards us. And we're like, what on earth is going on here? And uh, like, well, kind of a long story short, but they end get like they had trouble getting onto the boat, which was actually really hilarious. It really kind of downplayed the the scariness <laughs> of the situation. <laughs> like it was actually quite funny watching them try to get board the boat. But um, yeah, after about an hour of re- like p- wanting to put us in jail and all this stuff, like crazy talks and Dima thought you were spies, translated. Right? Yeah, they thought we were spies, and when they were looking at our our uh, member, like our crew log, they realized that we had two less oh. people than when we left Alaska. So they thought we dropped off two spies to spy on Russia. And then and we're like, what? Like, what are you talking about? You, you would think that you guys would be just like fudge the logs. I mean, come on. Yeah. If, you're trying yeah. to find that. if you're if you're funded by the CIA, at least you would you'd, you'd lie about what who's there. Yeah. Also, apparently they were super angry that we didn't let them know when we entered into Russia. But we came directly from the north. So we're like, so when do we let you know? And after <laughs> this whole this whole debacle. Once they found out and we started showing them books of Mike Horn and Borga, it was kind of hilarious because then at first they were super hard, scary, like weaponized guys who then turned into like fangirls. They ended up following us and boarding us three days later because who knows? They just wanted to hang out. We have no idea. But that was Mexico, landed in Norway, went to Oktoberfest and Eric gave me the call and and then we're, we're in Patagonia. So how? Hold on. I gotta stop and just note that the asides to your stories are like more amazing than any story I have to tell. Yeah, and those true. are just like, oh, and by the way, we happen to be boarded by Russians. Like that's just <laughs> that's that's the measure of how amazing I feel like your adventures are. It's, it's for a little even more backstory to even really tie it together. At the time, we were living in Tahoe together, and. Uh, we were roommates, and not only roommates, we were so broke and dirtbagging it so bad. For a while, we were sharing a bed. We were basically <laughs> going like head to toe in a bed, and we were like, all right, whoever's in the bed gets to have the bed. Like, we were like, all right, we'll pay rent, and we can pay half the rent if we share the exact same room. And like, and if we eventually upgraded to bunk beds, but like, it wasn't, it wasn't for a while. We got a hand-me-down California King, and we put a strict divider in it. We're like, this is how we're living. This is how we're going to find the divider was a body pillow. Yeah, the divider was a body pillow. So why, what is it with that kind of sacrifice? Why, why are you willing to make that kind of sacrifice to do this stuff? Because we're stupid. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it, I mean, yes, but no, I mean, there's, there's more to it than that. What, what is the reason? What, what are you getting out of this? I don't know. It's like when you get these adventures, I don't know. So I think like there's the feeling of looking forward to something like anticipation Mm-hmm. And then I think in like Sufferfest, you have a Sufferfest, it's shitty in the moment, but the reality is a story will last forever. And mm-hmm. you're in your early 20s, mid 20s, and you have all this potential energy, all these things it's like you might as well maximize all the stories from that time possible. So like, why not be a little uncomfortable so you have as much stories as possible for the next chapter of life? That's kind of where our entire thing was. Stein has a, what's your thing about living a, what's the phrase you always say? <laughs> uh, I mean, just to echo that sentiment, I mean, my... I guess a goal in life, but it's not much of. I mean, it's uh, it's a weird goal, but man, just to ultimately live one hell of a story with my closest friends, and yeah, no, I mean, even with these trips, we started to figure out that some of these trips kept coming up with very little notice, and we tried to cut as many expenses and essentially like 
adult responsibilities as possible. And we, we, we wanted to be ready and available. If someone wanted to call us and go on an adventure and share a story, like even now, like even this conversation, I'm getting, I mean, it's bringing up so many memories. Eric and I have had so many insane stories, but every single time it just really energizes the mood and brings back some epic memories. And just to think it was 2019 that all these stories were, like, it's so awesome. Yeah, 2020 and 2021 were also pretty crazy. Yeah, you guys are basically depositing in the bank of nostalgia so you guys can go make (laughs) withdrawals later. That's basically what it it comes down to. Now, you guys, you you talk about spontaneity a lot, and you kind of told me a story, and and we're going to go back full circle to first full circle layer, I promise. But you told me this great story about how you guys, you know, kind of got started in doing this filming, because you guys do filming with National Geographic and other photographers and filmmakers that are out there. You've kind of alluded to that a little bit so far. But why don't you guys tell me how you got into being able to do that, the the leap of faith that you took to make that happen? Ooh, that's a good one. So yeah, basically, um, Stein and I went to college together. Um, we were paired as roommates first day of college. Um, we both played football for Lewis and Clark in Portland, Oregon. Um, first day of school, we basically show up, we were put in a four person dorm it was super small and, uh, we've just been best friends ever since. So like the minute we met, basically I walked into the room, uh, Stein's dad walked into the room and saw my name on the door. He was like, Holy shit. Your last name is Repka. And then we're like, yeah, that's my last name. And it turns out that's like Stein's family's like maiden name, like some weird connection. So it turns out we're like distant cousins. Okay. And uh, we've been best friends ever since. So we basically, from then on, we're just like always colluding, trying to figure out different projects and ideas and things. And we were really active in this like entrepreneurship fund at Lewis and Clark. So we were doing like three sports each or two sports. We were doing two sports. Stein was doing baseball and football. I was doing football and track. And then like basically every weekend we're out just kind of, doing entrepreneurship, trying to make little ventures and all of them were pretty unsuccessful. And, uh, yeah, we're just kind of like hitting our head against the wall. But then in the process of all that, we're always skiing, always trying to do basically something adventure based. I grew up in, uh, Eastern Oregon in a really, uh, small mountain town. Stan grew up in Truckee, California. So obviously a very famous mountain town. And, uh, yeah, so that was kind of our goal. And then the minute like college came around, like there was time to graduate. We're like, Oh shit. Like we learned this entrepreneurship thing. So we don't necessarily have to get a job. You can just figure out ways to make money. And we're like, why would we do something that wouldn't be like an adventure? Like, let's just go have adventures. So we managed to meet this polar explorer named Doug Stalp on a ski lift while we were in Whistler, Canada, making a ski movie for Paps Blue Ribbon. We're making a YouTube series for PBR. And yeah, so Doug, we met Doug on this chairlift. We see him. He had an Olympic Valley uh, uh, sticker on his helmet. And we're like, oh my God, you're from Olympic Valley. Stein's from Olympic Valley. And this guy like basically was like, uh, we're uh, on this chairlift riding up and Stein and I are talking to him like, yeah, we make and ski movies. We do all this cool stuff. And Doug's like, oh, that's cool. Like I'm a polar explorer. I ski to the North and South pole, like and guide people. And Stein and I both like our jaws dropped. And this is like two months before we were graduating. And we're like, uh, you do what? And it's like, I guide people <laughs> on ski trips to the North and South pole. Like what the fuck? That's a job. Like, and immediately... <laughs> And we, we, I think we said to him, like, holy shit, how do we get your job? And he's like, and he started laughing. He's like, it's not that easy. And we're like, okay, okay, yeah, we get it. And he's like, <laughs> so he's like, it's not that easy. And he's like, but honestly, guys, like, you guys smell terrible. And we're like, yeah, we've been living in a car together for 10 days, like, with a whole, there's four other people in the car with us. And he's like, all right, here's my key to my, uh, my hotel thing. I'm leaving right now. 
take the key and then you guys can go use the spot, like the Chateau Fairmont, like some big hotel in Whistler. And we're like, hell yeah, we will. So we took the car and he's like, and here's my business card. If you have any problems getting in, email me and I'll help you guys get into the spa. I'm like, hell yeah, sounds like a plan. So basically that was the worst mistake he ever made was giving us his business card. So we ended up rolling into the spa, all of us, like all of like six of us in the car Four, I don't remember how many people it was. It was a lot, but everyone was wearing like, looked a lot like James Barkman. Uh, when we rolled in that spa <laughs> with clothes and on. yeah, with well, sometimes, yeah. And then, uh, but we basically rolled in, got cleaned up. And then immediately after that, we saw this business card and Stan and I were like, all right, there's this dude. We got to work for this dude. So Stan, you should tell the story after that. The next part. Um, or, okay. Well, <laughs> with the email, we lose, yeah, we, we lose the cards and Eric and I are back in spring semester of college and we're trying to figure it out. And we're we're looking around, we're like, God, Eric and I were talking, like, God, I wonder who that one guy was on that chairlift. That was pretty crazy. I wonder if we could reach out to him. We searched everywhere, couldn't find these business cards. We're like, what the hell? Like, where is this? Turns out it was in one of our jacket pockets, and we found it. And Eric and I started looking up his resume and his website. And we're like, this is the coolest thing ever. So Eric and I put together probably more effort than I put in the well, just shy of my thesis paper. But uh, we wrote these insanely thorough resume email like introductions with they're like three pages long each just sharing our history and all of these things and our vision and what we wanted to do together and like what like these adventures and like within 30 minutes we get a response back to eric and i's extremely lengthy emails four words yo dudes let's chat and eric and i were like what like we just <laughs> okay it was extremely informal so um, as one of the things we learned from entrepreneurship is, um, during these follow-up calls, just learn more about their background, how you can, how you can help just kind of really explore those different transitions or turning points and, um, some of those inspiring people's lives. So Eric and I scheduled a call and there, take it from there. Oh yeah. So the call basically, we jump on a call with Doug and he starts talking to us about Antarctica. He's like, yeah, it's a beautiful place. It's incredible. He's like the only pro I run. He runs a ski trip every year. He brings a hundred skiers from around the world on a trip called ISAC. It's his company's ISAC expeditions. And the main product is this ski tour. So basically it's a hundred skiers around the world, 25 mountain guides, and they go on a cruise ship and they all ski the peninsula. And, and then he also does North pole, South pole trips. And we're like, uh huh, we're listening. This all sounds incredible. And he's like, the other problem though, is there's a bunch of waste in Antarctica, like a bunch of one Island called King George Island is just covered in scrap metal. And it just so happened that Stein and I in college, our side hustle was we would buy and sell scrap metal. <laughs> so uh, we would do that on the weekends after football games. We would go drive around in my truck and then go find scrap metal in central Oregon. And then we'd sell it uh, to places in Portland. So we're like, okay, uh, there's a scrap metal problem in Antarctica. He's like, yeah, I'm like, we'll help you solve that problem. Like we're going to start this thing. And we called it Intrepid 98 or is Intrepid, what was it? Intrepid 98? 98, 98. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so Intrepid was our high school um, or in college. That was our college scrap metal company. We called it Intrepid Resource Management. So we started this new thing called Very Intrepid. official sounding. I like yeah. that. Yeah, very <laughs> official sounding. And then uh, we're like, yeah, we're going to go clean up Antarctica. He's like, all right, sweet. That's a good – like, you guys want to do this? I'll help you guys figure out some stuff. That would be a great way for you guys to get familiar with Antarctica. Like, let's do it. So we're like, fuck yeah. And he's like, all right, well, like, maybe next year, if there's some time, you guys should go to uh, – like down to Antarctica and maybe get a look at the waste. And we're like, yeah, that sounds great. We'd love to go like take a look. And uh, we found out it was March at this time on spring break. 
And we found out there was a couple more flights and cruises going to Antarctica that weekend. So Stein and I were like, fuck it. Let's not go next year. Let's go right now. <laughs> so we, we booked a flight that weekend. From We went and talked to Lewis and Clark, told them we had this brilliant plan to clean up scrap metal in Antarctica. There was this little committee called the Finance Committee that would give out tiny grants to students doing cool things. And it just so happened it was the very end of the year, and they had a $5,000 surplus. And we pitched them the idea of them flying us down there for like $4,500. And they're like, all right, whatever. Like, we got a surplus. This is not well formulated, but go for it. <laughs> so they flew us down to uh, the south of Chile and Punta Arenas. So we flew down that weekend, immediately called Doug, like, Doug. We're in Chile. We're going to Antarctica. He's like, what the fuck? Like, how? And we're, like, <laughs> we're going to go check out the scrap metal. So he's like, all right, well, good luck. Um, I have a warehouse downtown Punta Arenas that has some gear in it. You guys are welcome to go down there and, like, grab any gear if you need to go check out the island. And then uh, the contact you're going to need to talk to on King George Island is this guy named Alejo. So they gave us Alejo's phone number. So randomly get to Chile. We just dial Alejo's phone number, and he answers the phone from Antarctica. And... <laughs> We're in Chile, and we're like, oh, shit, we got to go to Antarctica. Like, let's figure it out. So we basically, our plan was, once we got there, we were going to hitchhike. So we were either going to go talk to a ship and get a ride on a boat, which normally costs $10,000 a person, or we were going to take a flight, which normally costs, like, I think it's like $8,000 a person to King George Island, none of which we had. So immediately, we called the way home. We're like, hey, dude, we're in Antarctica. We'd love to come visit the place and see the scrap metal problem. He was like answered the phone in Antarctica, super strange. He was like, all right, um, you should go talk to this one airline downtown Punta Arenas. They might have some spots. So we go march into the place in Punta Arenas. Like we're um, humanitarian, like we're doing environmental cleanup. We want to go check out the scrap metal. Uh, and uh, th we were like, at the time, I think I was wearing this like old pair of Carhartts that was completely blown out and like this Patagonia that was like sewed up in like three different spots. So they were like having none of it. Like, yeah, you guys, like, no, we're not doing it. Like, we want to buy this flight. Like, all right, we can give you the flight, but it's going to cost 50 grand. I'm like, oh. mm, a little out of our price range. So, we basically sat in Punta Arenas for six days and we showed up to this lady's office every single day of spring break until the very end of spring break. And then the very last day, at the end of the day, she gives us a phone call. She's like, hey, guys, we're going to give you the spot on the plane to go check out the scrap metal. And we're like, holy shit, this is incredible. Like, we basically, they're like, we got the flight going in. There's a crew of Chinese researchers that need to be picked up. It's going to be the last flight of the year. You guys will have three hours in Antarctica. We're like, hell yeah, here's our time. We showed up at the, airline, or the runway the next morning, and the, the flight got canceled because of uh, weather. And the Chinese researchers ended up having to spend like a month in their boat and then got out on an icebreaker. So we ended up never making it to Antarctica on that trip. But... Uh, we pivoted, went to Patagonia, went backpacking, and then went, flew home. But that entire effort just kind of impressed Doug. So Doug was like, hey, all right, you guys seem like you are enthusiastic. You, want to come, like, <laughs> you guys can come, like, crash at my place. And he's like, when you guys are done with school, come down to Tahoe, and we'll keep figuring things out. So Stein, actually, it so happened that Doug lived in Truckee, and his office was right next to Stein's stepdad's office. So, like... We were like, oh, okay, sweet. We'll just go live with Stein's dad and go <laughs> intern for Doug. It's poor Stein's dad. <laughs> so, that's incredible. So were you guys inspired by a movie like 180 Degrees South before you started doing filmmaking, or did that come afterward? Yeah, I think it was way before. Like, I think I saw 180 Degrees South when I was a freshman in, in high school. Like, I think 180 Degrees South basically 
told me at a very young age, I'm like, oh shit, this isn't like a Hollywood cinema thing. This is like something in between. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this, because this is something in between, this is something we're potentially capable of. And honestly, we put in kind of piss poor effort to make that level for like years, but like to even attempt to be at the level of 180 South. But, uh, but, what, but that what was idea, it about that film that made you want to do, or at least attempt <laughs> to do what they did? I think it was just the journey, the watching this dude go through a journey. It's like, so like classic, I think now reflecting on it, it's like hero's journey storytelling. Like he, he just had a story of a journey and a trip that was transformative. And like, we were going through a transformative time in our life and we didn't even mention this before, but actually before, actually we, before we met Doug, we actually bought a land cruiser and we <laughs> were going to drive it to Southern Chile. And that was our entire plan after college until we met Doug. And we were going to name it. We had a name that was a version of the film 180 South. It was like an arrow upside down. It never happened, but Thank we had the God plan. we didn't. The car broke down in Lake Tahoe. <laughs> yeah, the car broke down immediately afterwards. It was a real POS. <laughs> so, so you guys are inspired to do this film. I want to try and, and get back into the full circle thing a little bit. <laughs> Tell us lo- logistically what it takes to get ready to go do it, how, to, how you got there. Tell us about going through the jungle and everything else. Yeah. So basically when we were leaving the mountain in uh, Chibungatu, like Rafa told me about this plant, this trip he'd done, and he had attempted it before. So he had gone to Corcovado and basically what you have to do originally, like you see this film from the 180 degrees South, you see this mountain and you're like, Oh, this must be like a well-trafficked mountain. It's gotta be like Mount hood. It's beautiful. It is incredible. Like you look at pictures of mountains and you, and you see it. And when you see that mountain, you're like, wow, you see, I've seen a lot of mountains in pictures and in person and stuff like that. Oh, they look nice. That one looks, it looks incredible. And it looks like uh, I would feel standing in front of it the way you felt shaking the man's hand that intimidated you. <laughs> it yeah. just, it looks terrifying. Yeah, no, it, uh, it definitely has that vibe. And it was, um, and it's just kind of like, like I said, it's aesthetic and you have this feeling like, oh, it's going to be like a popular place. Obviously it's in Chile. It's only a 7,000 foot tall mountain. And it's, uh, and we're like, oh, this is going to be sweet. Like, so I started talking to Rafa more about it. And he's like, yeah, I want to attempt the first ski descent. I'm like, oh, that's cool. No one skied it. Like, that's awesome. Let's do it. And then he started talking about it more. And he's like, my friend just hit the first Chilean ascent recently. I'm like, the first Chilean ascent, like it's in Chile. And then I realized like at that point, I think it had been climbed like three times. And we're like, oh shit, this is not like, we're not waltzing into this thing like completely easily. This is a way harder objective than we thought. Why? What so, was it, why has it only been climbed three times? Because the fucking jungle, the, the, the forest around it, it actually, so access basically to get there. We found out later, you have to go into the town of Chaitan. You have to find a fisherman. This is not a service that they offer. You have to find a regular fisherman and you have to pay him a sum of money to drop you off on the shore. It's like a four hour, five hour boat ride across the bay and then have them pick you up on a separate day. And then once you get to the shore, it's complete wilderness. It's actually, I would say it's pretty close other than places we've been in the Arctic and Antarctic, I think it's the most desolate place I've been besides that. Like no signs of human life whatsoever other than ocean trash, which was unfortunate. But Yeah, that's a kind yeah. of fact of life now. So what yeah. is it about this place that makes it so inhospitable? Because there's people everywhere, right? People are like this virus. They're everywhere. What is it about this place that makes people not want to be there or live there? I think it's the rain, honestly. I don't really know. It's like, I think Chile is just, Patagonia especially, I think, is a very harsh environment, like literally. Like it is just has crazy weather. Um, and it's just the end of the road. It kind of reminds me of like it 
feels a little bit like Alaska or like British Columbia, but more like Alaska in the sense of like desolate. Like Alaska is kind of like one of those undiscovered last places that people don't really live at because it's kind of a rough place to live. It's kind of the same thing in Southern Patagonia. That's the best way I could describe it really. And also it's just dense. Like the, you get into the forest and the shrubbery and stuff. Like we would go into the forest and there was times you'd step on the ground on the vines and you just like disappear. Like someone would just disappear in a bog and then be like up to their neck covered in leeches. So you didn't really know where like the floor was of the forest or the base or the top. It's just like the most alive forest I've ever been in. So by that extension, just incredibly dense, incredibly hard to develop, I would think. That was, watching the film, that was one of the most kind of like surprising things was how diametrically opposed. You think of a snow-capped mountain and then you think of this dense jungle and they don't seem like they should be next to each other or that that would be one you know adventure to try to get to it I, yeah no that was rare. it's it's so strange to me yeah seeing you guys with uh in the in the jungle with skis on is is a little bit is is odd for sure so you guys get off this boat what kind of what is this boat like that's taking there obviously we're not talking about a boston whaler that's super nice what is this thing that's dropping you off on, on the rocks yeah i was like this what is it as it a little fishing boat like a 16 foot boat um kind of classic patagonia looking fishing but it almost looks like something you'd see like off the coast of portugal there's a little cabin um pretty chill honestly it was um i don't even know about do you have any other descriptors about the boat uh a little bit better than a dugout canoe (laughs) okay so so this this isn't a five-star yacht that you're getting dropped off so you get dropped off on these rocks what do you have with you you know what, what did you bring with you to be able to survive brought like everything in the kitchen sink it felt like we had too much we brought basically because we knew we had jungle rain ice climbing filmmaking we ended up like it was reminded me of the same load i would have for a trip that was like a month long but we were only planning on being there for a week because of the hard goods we had like no matter what you have to take the ice climbing gear because it was gonna be ice climbing no matter what you had to take the rain gear because it was gonna be rain no matter what you had to take the jungle gear because it's gonna be jungle so we couldn't like get rid of that so after that, like you ended up with like, we probably had like 60, 80 pound packs on the beach. And then the main thing on top of this is like, we're trying to make a film. So all of us, that's the hard part about all these things. We have film gear on top of everything, which is just heavy, a pain in the ass to deal with and just always dying and just messy, you know? Yeah. So, I'll, be, I'll be at REI looking at all the camp gear and it's all made out of like aluminum and it's got holes in it. It weighs nothing. Everything is compact and folds into itself. And then you've got camera gear which is batteries, unwieldy, big, doesn't fold up, impossible to store properly. And it, it's, it's just a massive amount of space and weight. Yeah. And we're also famously very hard on our camera gear. It's like <laughs> not, not doing well. But it, basically, we got dropped off on the beach. The fishermen were like, the fishermen were, first of all, like thought we were absolutely insane. They'd never seen anyone. Um, I think they had never seen anyone attempt to climb the mountain, let alone skis. They were like, what the hell are you guys doing <laughs> like dropped us off they said good luck and they're like see you later like see you in a couple of days we hope and they were like very much like i think they thought we were absolutely out to lunch and uh so we unloaded all the gear and basically one time we all got on the beach though like we ended up having to drive like 10 hours to get there and we had to take an all-night ferry we had just a really epic travel sequence getting there so by the time we actually landed on the beach all of us completely collapsed we're just like trying to get some rest, trying to recover a little bit to even have the energy to continue. So it's you and Stein and 
Who else is with you? We had Raphael Pease, so snowboarder, and then Stein's younger brother and one of my best friends, uh, Thor, and also one of Stein's best friends. Okay, so you got a little. <laughs> so everybody's everybody's collapsed on the beach. Nobody's got any energy. Yeah, well, we walked on the beach and we're trying to figure out the mouth, like trying to enter into which canyon or like even just the riverbed, and we we're following the tides and trying to figure out what was going on there. And like you know, we're just absolutely exhausted. Set up camp and we're like, okay, we'll get. And it's a beautiful day, beautiful sunset. We're like, wow, the weather is amazing down here. This is this is this is totally different than what we expected because it was beautiful. We could see everything. No, not many clouds. Warm. So we go to bed, sleep on the beach, didn't set up any tents, um, had a great meal. We're like, oh, this is okay. It's a great way to relax. And uh, meanwhile, <laughs> also, I was like, yeah, I was really dumb and brought a uh, 200 liter trash bag as a, as a, as my bivy sack, which was really dumb. Um, but we all, we all slept in our bivy sacks on the, on the beach and come midnight, it just, all of a sudden we just all hear wrestling and it just starts downpouring. So we are all kind of next thing you know, go from super like relaxed sleep to just absolute like blitzkrieg trying to set up these tents and we're just soaking wet all of our our sleeping bags are soaking wet um i'm pretty sure when eric like i went with rafa and i slept with the same as rafa and eric was with thor which turned out to be a bad call because yeah. thor first thing he does is right when the tent's set up he just gets naked it's it doesn't clean up like we're covered in sand and dirt and all this stuff and he just gets straight into his sleeping bag and it's like like we're all trying to keep everything clean and Thor's oh, covered man. in sand, just naked and gets into his bag. And <laughs> it, that, from, from there, covered in dirt. Like, like, like it, it makes me cringe thinking about it now. Like I couldn't even imagine yeah. getting into sleeping bags covered in dirt like that. But the other thing is like, it, we're still balling on a budget too. So all of us decided it, we were going to take, we Stein and I both had negative 20 degree down sleeping bags for like Arctic things. But it's just because we were like on a budget. So we were like, all right, we'll just take the same. We took the same sleeping bag on all of our trips. So like we're in the middle of a jungle and we're in our negative 20 degree. <laughs> and if, if this bag gets wet, it's ruined. So that's why like, we, I bought a bivy sack just to put the bag in the other bag to make sure it didn't die. Right. <laughs> right. Because I mean, you, uh, yeah. otherwise you'd have, you've got, you're going to be cl- ice climbing. It's to be cold up there, but it's theoretically warm on the beach. So you have multiple climates and that, not only multiple biomes, but multiple climates that you're dealing with. Yeah. yeah. Essentially, after that rain, uh, that once it started, it didn't stop, and the following day was a torrential downpour the entire day. Like we, after that first experience, we didn't dry off until we were back in Santiago. Like we were all soaking wet for the next seven days. So in this in this movie, in in 180 degrees south, they they're they're going. Why are we doing this? This this is horrible. Let's turn back. Should we turn back? I don't know. Did you guys have thoughts about that of giving up and just heading back to the beach? Nope. Nope. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. one, one of my favorite parts was when we're in the middle of the jungle and like I mean there was even points where I was following Eric and next thing you know, out of nowhere, I was just like standing in awe because all, Eric just walking through didn't even feel these branches. Because you put your skis and your boots are on your skis and it's an A-frame. These branches had grabbed Eric's skis and he walked off and they 
just gently pulled it off of his backpack. So his, <laughs> his were in the whole ski setup were just hanging in the canopy. And I'm like, wow, this this is insane. There's leeches everywhere doing leech checks. And we get to this one point, and it's close to the, it's around the same point that Rafa turned around with last time in the jungle. And we're all talking, and then next thing you know, um, like we're and it, that's like the best part of these experiences because obviously it's ex- extremely uncomfortable, and we're like, what the hell are we doing? We couldn't see anything. But also doing it with friends, like I remember just looking at like Eric or Rafa's face and we were all just like, you know what, like this is going to be one of the hell- biggest, funniest stories like we'll always remember. And I remember we turned on CCR uh, running through the jungle, blasted it on our iPhone and just started charging. And it just totally elevated the mood. And it was like that first little cruxy situation of, like, is this a good idea? What are we actually doing? And then you're like, you know what? screw it <laughs> we're doing this together this is gonna be one hell of a story and might as well play some ccr and run through this jungle yeah once you <laughs> accept the norm right once you accept that okay this is what it is and you come and you mentally are like yep this is it this is a norm this is how it is you get past that you're probably good totally for, and for context too randomly when i turned 25 store stein and i decided for polar training I don't even know what the hell we're thinking. We decided to drag tires 25 miles on the road. Um, so that's like the same group of people. Like we were dragging tires, like for no reason whatsoever. Like just like giggling the entire time, even though it was like one of the stupidest things I've ever done. Whose idea uh, was this? Just like, is this something like someone was like, yeah. Did you watch Rocky and decided it was just a good idea to just you tie them to ropes and just drag tires down the road? Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what happened. Yeah. Okay. Doug told us. Doug said this is the best way to train for polar expeditions. <laughs> yeah, and we were really bored. It was the middle of August, and we're like, "All right, let's do something like really something that's going to like break us mentally." I'm like this sounds really yeah. rough, so we decided to do that. Did it break yeah. you mentally? Yeah. Well, Eric, when we were so when we were pulling into the valley, like so, the Truckee River is notorious for summer booze cruises. Um, and everyone just floating down the river, having parties on these islands. And meanwhile, we're 20 miles down. I think we're 22 miles down. We're walking by the river, and people are on bikes, drinking beer, having a great time partying, and we are absolutely exhausted. That was probably the most mentally that was like, strenuous observation because we're walking for two, three miles and just staring at all these people partying and having fun on a Saturday, August on afternoon. My birthday on eric's birthday and yeah i mean those moments when we kept on pushing it's kind of like now it's a new standard for things for literally no kind of unfortunate so so these people are like in in bikinis and swimsuits having beers watching you guys drag tires yep yep (laughs) (laughs) i can only i can only i can only imagine what they're thinking so you guys are in the jungle at what point did you see the mountain and what was that like um so basically we ended up going up the side of the way right before we, before we even popped into the jungle, like the rain was pouring so hard. We built a lean to against the side of this cliff and started a fire. And we all made a plan like, all right, we're going to have to stay up for 24 hours and make this fire. And a little note to self, like something I didn't know at the time, but if I could tell myself in the past, this, I would, um, turns out brown, black, like garbage bags. If you're ever in an emergency situation in the water, like river cold scenarios, apparently if you ever burn a black garbage bag, it will light in any sort of wetness. Like it's always guaranteed like a good fire starter, like in absolute terrible emergencies. 
And in that scenario, we took probably three hours to try and start this little tiny fire. And we were just like completely not having success whatsoever. Yeah, everything's and drenched. Yeah, everything was drenched, completely failing. And we were covered in black garbage bags. So like that would have been <laughs> like a lot of people since then have been like, yeah, you should just lit one of those up. I'm like, yep, that would have been smart. But note to self now, survival, survival, little thing to learn. But um, basically the rain stopped for a moment, went to the jungle. The jungle, we ended up only making it about like 150 to 200 meters an hour in the jungle. It was just like atrocious. So we ended up turning around in the jungle and came out of the jungle the exact same place we went in and just had pretty much lost a day. And at the end of the day, Stein and I were both like, all right, everyone we had, like it was right around sunset and the river that we had tried to go up before we didn't think was fordable. Everyone was like, yeah, it's not going to work. It's too deep. So Stein and I just went to just the two of us and ran up there. And we ended up getting up pretty close to like our neck in the water with all of our stuff over our heads. But we made it past the little point we thought we couldn't make it past. And it was kind of like this weird terraced canyon. So like you go to the river and there'd be a waterfall and you'd go up then climb the side of the waterfall and then go to another river and see a waterfall and climb up. And all of these things, we ended up hitting like three or four waterfalls. And we just knew like around the corner we were going to hit one and that was going to be the end. Because we knew that other people had climbed Corcovado, but it was the team from 180 South and they had gone around the other side. They hadn't summited, but they did it around a totally different route. We had heard another team had tried, but we didn't know where they were coming from. So this zone, we thought we were in. We thought no one had ever been before. So we were truly like exploring. We had no idea if it went or not. And uh, and then I remember like there was one waterfall we went to that was like we got to the waterfall and the waterfall was completely like concave behind it, like a cave. So like it was a really, really steep wall to get past it. And we're like, okay, fuck. So we scrambled up like the loosest, shittiest rock on the left of the waterfall. And like it was really gnarly really bad way outside of our comfort zone but um we kept thinking like we're gonna hit the next waterfall and then finally have to turn around and that next one we got around the corner got out the waterfall and looked to the right and we saw snow and both of us lost it like we started i threw my skis in the air like we had uh our ski poles i threw them there we both had this huge celebration and we came running back down to the main camp and told them that the route went so we realized we were going to get our chance. That in the film, I think there's a line that says we would have our chance to climb Corcovado. That was like the moment. We didn't film the time that we were up and actually scouted it, but you can tell it's in that similar spot. So how did you pick this route to begin with? Did you did you look at maps or did you just get dropped off wherever the fisherman dropped you off and like, well, there's the mountains over there. So let's just head that direction. <laughs> that that one. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that's that's, that's kind of what I suspected. <laughs> yeah yeah that was a good, good plan <laughs> good plan yeah no we got dropped off i'm like all right that looks like the straightest line and then we went that way the next day we moved all of our stuff from the lower camp on the end of the jungle all the way up to the snow line spent the night got an early night's rest and then uh, an early morning start left the next day for our alpine start and then just started cranking this is this is easy for you guys once you get to the snow this is it's what you guys know it's your it's your bread and butter yeah, it was it was a weird sensation though. So we got to the snow. Um, first of all, we got to the snow. Like honestly, I think we got too late of a start. I think we were there around 4 a.m. and we just noticed there was a lot of rock fall going on. The, the zone we were in was really bad. Like we were like in this little canyon, and there was rocks coming from above on like three or four different zones. So like the hair on the back of our neck was just standing up for all of us. And so this is happening while you're there. There's rock fall. Yeah, no, we were hearing rocks, seeing rocks, and we could tell the zone, like, there was an island of safety pretty high up the helm, 
or the, the hill. I'm like, okay, we can get to that zone and we'll be okay. But we wanted to be that, like, if rock falls occurring, the best time to go around rock fall is in the times that it's coldest. So that usually means really early morning or really late at night and like really early, like midnight, like that kind of time. So um, we basically hustled through that zone and, but it wasn't like to the point where we thought we would have to turn around or anything, but we were all definitely very concerned about that level of rock fall. And by the time we got to the, the sketchier section, we, we didn't think there was too much of a problem from there, but like it, there's kind of like that moment where you realize you got to the place where you want to go and you're like just nervous. So you kind of had like the guard was still up, you know, even though there wasn't anything to really be afraid of past that point, we were just like freaked out. Right. Just thinking that, you know, rockfall, does, does it call av- cause avalanches or is it just because things are melting or what's going on that's causing that? It rockfall, basically, it's like loose, shitty rock that's in the, like, basically in the winter, it will get capped in snow and then ice and it keeps the rock in place. And then when it starts melting, those rocks will shake loose and then just fall. So, like, you're the thing you're worried about, the objective hazard that you're worried about is being struck by a rock. Right. Yeah. That would, that would suck big time. That yeah, no. <laughs> gnarly, gnarly. Yeah. I always, I always but, think about too, like worst case scenario. So if you get struck by one of these rocks or if you break your leg or something like that, I mean, there really is no rescue plan. Is there? Yeah, it's uh, it could be we had, so we're in Chile. Hopefully there's someone, but yeah, we treated it. That we, we, fully expected like the plan for the expedition and thing was that there was not so like there might have been hopefully if something would have happened but our best bet was the the boat captain and we treated it as though we were in an expedition in a very very remote place like the same way people treat trips in like pakistan or like mongolia prepare to self-rescue yeah no extraction no extraction yeah self-rescue like prepare prepare for those so that means in turn your risk tolerance is much lower interesting well, I would I would like to hear what this trip would be like if your risk tolerance was higher. Like it already yeah. seems like there's a lot of risk involved. It probably would have pushed the ice climbing more, but yeah. So we got to the base and then at that point it just started it was cruiser all the way up to the base of like the summit cone. And then we started the ice climb. And we thought the ice climb was gonna be a little easier than it was. It was definitely vertical in some sections. The other problem is like we had a group of four or no, three four? Yeah, four. So we had a group of four. And a four on a rope team is kind of a clusterfuck. It's like, you got to figure out how you're going to do your systems. It's definitely a little weirder. Um, and we brought, basically we just brought six pickets because the pickets are like the thing you place in snow for a snow anchor, not in ice. When you're ice climbing, you put in ice screws. Pickets are like designed for like hauling someone out of a crevasse in loose snow or like repelling off of a section in snow. So we knew it was going to be unconsolidated snow. So we were protecting the route as though we were climbing with, ice screws with pickets. So we're hammering in these long three foot long stakes into the ground to hold us up. So after like three to four pitches of this weird kind of ice climbing, we, we uh, drilled a V thread on the first pitch of the ice climb. A V thread is where you use an ice screw to bore a hole from two different directions to make a V in the ice. And then you thread a rope through it. And then you rappel off that hole, that hole that goes to the ice. And it's really strong. It's a really strong anchor. But we had looked down and we left a little piece of rope through this V-thread. And the, below us on the route, this was pretty close to like early afternoon at this point, like, like noon one. And we looked at that other V-thread and the V-thread had completely melted and was lying on the ground. So like that oh. meant the ice was going at such, the summit was melting at such a fast rate that it was 
blowing out. So I was looking at pickets below us too, and pickets are metal. So basically, when whenever we'd hammer in a picket, we would bury it in snow. So we'd cover snow on it. But then the pickets were starting to become exposed, and then they were like becoming loose and unconsolidated. So we just realized the space we were on, the time we were on, just wasn't really a safe place to be. So I was way at the end of a very long lead and got to the base of this one vertical section and looked back at the pickets behind me, and they're all kind of melting out and dangling. I was like, you know, it's not really safe. It's not safe from here. And Stein and I at the time, and still to this day, aren't the best ice climbers. We had, I think we'd been ice climbing like twice before in our lives. So this was definitely a little bit on the sharp end for us. So I yelled down to Stein right next to me and then Rafa and Thor, we all agreed. Like, yeah, let's not push it. And we kind of had a feeling that we'd have another attempt at it and we could go earlier in the morning. But then that same night, we got a weather uh, notification that a huge storm was coming. So we realized that was going to be our only spot. But we figured, honestly, it's the exact same spot where the crew from 180 degrees south turned around. So we're like, yeah, we don't really matter. It didn't, it, the summit would have been cool, but it, who cares? It wasn't More the like, goal, right? That wasn't the goal yeah, was to, was the, the summit. Was fun. So what what is it about this? A lot of mountains you can kind of just walk up. Like you get to the, the spine of it and you can kind of go to the summit and it's not that hard. This thing seems like it's just this this spire that sticks out of a, a shallower incline. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of it does feel like that. It feels like two different mountains. It feels like a technical peak on top of something like a like a Mount Hood or yeah, something like that. It's I, like I think that's one of the reasons why it looks so beautiful. Yeah, it's gorgeous, and I think it would be fun to try and climb it again. We've been um, since talking to Jeff Johnson because he went to the Coast Film Festival and saw the premiere of Full Circle um, with Stein. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're t- we keep trying to convince Jeff to go back with us and try it from the original 180 South. How's that going? Which we're working on it. We're working on it. So you guys, recent project that you guys have been doing, I was watching, uh, you sent me a, a, a YouTube episode that you guys decided to go uh, cycling and doing a little, uh, <laughs> do a little cycling adventure. <laughs> and from what I can tell, um, Stein sucks at bikes. <laughs> yeah. So what, where's, where's this journey come from? Why are you guys, why did you guys do that? Yeah. So basically in t- the middle of COVID first, I don't know why the hell we had this idea, but basically there's this one website. It's like called like ski volcano.com or something like that, that basically someone in like the late nineties, early two thousands made a very incredible, um, catalog and, um, kind of like encyclopedia of all the volcanoes in the Pacific Northwest, all the skiable volcanoes, and then like all the information on each of them. So it's this one really basic website. It's still like very early 2000s feeling, but it just has tons of info and tons of beta. And you see the map and it's like all these volcanoes in a row. And you're like, oh, that's obviously, like, you can obviously bike between all those. So I don't know how the idea really came about, but we just were always thinking about that idea, like in the back of our head, like that'd be a really fun trip. So when COVID hit, you're like, oh shit, everything's closed. You can't do anything. Kind of like all international travel is shut down. Like we got to do, if we're going to do anything, we got to do something domestic. So we just kind of threw the idea out there and made it work. We were just like, hey, we want to ride our bikes from uh, Lake Tahoe all the way up to Canada where the tallest volcanoes are and climb and ski all the volcanoes along the way. And I think there's like 25 volcanoes along the way. So, um, originally we were going to do it fully uh, unsupported. We were going to do it ourselves, like carrying our own gear. Um, and then we, the idea came up that we can make a film out of it. So like, Oh, we're going to have a film crew come. Why would we carry our own gear if a film crew is going to be there? So we decided to do a supported trip and yeah, early June, 2020, we left 
Lake Tahoe and rode our bikes straight north. And it sounds like this was kind of a an emotional trip too. Like you did, you did some cycling with your dad and stuff, right? Yeah. So my dad passed away actually in an avalanche in 2009, but he was a really big cyclist himself. And yeah, so it was kind of like a trip that he was a professional road bike racer. And or I think I always say professional, but I think about it like later. I don't know if it was really pro, but something like that. And um, yeah, so it was, because of that, it was kind of like a legacy trip. My brother got to come on the trip as well. So I just was like kind of doing a nod to him because I myself have kind of lost touch with cycling in the last know five six years i sold my mountain bike to go climbing in peru where we met james and uh yeah so just figured it'd be cool to like have a shout out to him yeah was it hard to when you did cycling after he passed away was it something that was difficult for you to do because it it was reminding you of him too much and so you kind of withdrew from it a little bit at first do you think Mm, no i don't know it was it was a weird one like it was like it's kind of like, I don't know if Stein might be able to think about this too. It's kind of like, I don't know, what do you think of cycling? To me, like cycling, when I got back on the bike, it kind of hit me. I'm like, you know, road biking, if I was any other time in my life, I look at that, I'm like, that looks boring as shit. Like, that does not look fun whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But being on a bike, when I was on a bike again, like after day three, I'm like, I really like this. Like, I remember just feeling like good. You have like, you get more mental clarity on a bike than I've had in other sports and you just feel naturally at home. You can keep really high paces and for really long durations. And I just felt great the entire ride. So it kind of was like a deeper connection back to him in that way. Cause I'm like, dude, I'm just like, you're not around to tell me this now, but I like kind of get that lesson in retrospect. I'm like, yeah, that's a really cool, really cool thing to do. A really cool way to be in touch with being a human being. You know? Yeah. There's a, uh, one of my buddies the other day was telling me about something called flow state. And it's, it's doing things. And, and he was talking about, we were talking about, you know, great ideas come in the shower. You know, you immerse yourself in water and, you, and, and, and great ideas come and, and great thinking and, and introspection comes from doing stuff like that. But I think that there's this, the thing when you're, when you're traveling in a car, on a bike, or, or even hiking or walking or any of these things, especially if when you're, when you're cycling, you're kind of alone too, right? Even if someone's with you, you can't just have a conversation like with them like you could when you were hiking or anything. And you get kind of into your own zone. And I think you get into a flow state like that where it, it helps you really get into your own head. Totally. Stein did the entire ride with no music, too. So he probably definitely has his own flow state. Me, on the other hand, I was blasting my music all the entire time. I think I'm actually kind of like deaf in my right ear because of it. Well, Stein, you, you got a bike that you drove for like at least 4.7 feet before you left on this trip, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, no. My perspective of cycling is totally different. Um, I have zero <laughs> history with cycling. Um, it was not even. Yeah, it was genuinely the first time I had ever used clips uh, right when we left. And yeah, it was a pretty significant and serious wake-up call to what the next <laughs> thirty days are going to be like. Um, I don't know. I, I sometimes I go. I, oftentimes I have a little bit of a overconfidence in some situations sometimes and I'm like, yeah you know this this can't be that bad like cycling like ah, how hard could it be I'll figure it out like I, I had literally three weeks earlier um had ridden uh, like a beach cruiser with my mom <laughs> like I don't know maybe like 14 miles with the longest I've ever done on a bike and it was a beach cruiser so I, I just really didn't have much experience biking and yeah I think for the first three days I just kept alternating feet <laughs> And, um, yeah, never, I mean, my hamstrings were freaking roasted after 
45 minutes and then switching, but yeah, no, Wait, no was, you gotta explain that because you, cause you couldn't figure out the clips. So you were clipped into yeah. one foot only. Yeah, oh. no, yeah. So one foot. Yeah. Yeah. So I literally would just, I let, yeah. So for a few days, I mean, man, it was actually a couple hundred miles actually. It was like probably 250 miles and then the hills and all that, all that crazy crap. But like, it was, it was only one foot in the clip while the other one kind of just uh, was along for the ride. <laughs> I like, figured it out. And, um, yeah, no, it was, that was something else, but no, I mean, ter- in terms of flow state, man, lots of, lots of ideas for sure. Not all of them great, but some of them, it was plenty of time to think and, um, quite a perfect time for it. Cause nothing else is really going on in the world except drinking. <laughs> yeah. It's well, you know, the bad thoughts that you have too, you need those, right? I mean, you need the, the bad ideas and the bad thoughts and the negative things to create breadth in your mind philosophically to know what the good stuff even is. Oh, 100%. It's a good philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did you guys end up skiing all of the mountains? I saw that you had a, a guy that was that was missing his leg go and do some of the volcanoes with you. Did he do all of them, or were you just, was he a long ride for some? So Pete, that was Pete McAfee. He joined us for just Shasta. Okay. Um, we were, it was kind of like, I don't know how the best Decent soda, it. not great. It's <laughs> like average soda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shasta. Yeah, that's quite the best. <laughs> pretty terrible but like you know like babe ruth before he like went up to the plate and he like points at like way the hell out there in the stands and then he hit a home run where he's pointing yep. and then there's kind of like that joke where that person like points and then they start like pointing lower and lower and lower and lower until they're like at like a single that's kind of what our trip was like yeah we basically <laughs> told everyone we we're gonna climb and ski like 25 volcanoes and then when we ended we're like we were completely successful we climbed and skied all 12 volcanoes <laughs> <laughs> We totally blew it out the number. In fact, if you watch the series, they ask us, like, we're all emotional. I'm like, we did what we set out to do. We're going to climb and ski. Every single time someone asks the number of volcanoes, the number's different. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you just got to uh, reformat expectations. Like, oh, yeah, a lot of them we didn't summit. A lot of them were totally messed up. I ended up getting a face infection and was hospitalized for four days in the middle of it. So you guys have done, you know, a couple different films and a, and, and a few different series now. What what lies on the horizon for you guys? What else are you wanting to do? Ooh, that's a good question. Stein, what about you? Uh, no, that is a good question. I would split up in a – well, I mean, recently I've spent a lot of time or some more time than none really learning how to uh, kite, like uh, kite surf. Yeah, really trying to add some kite ski expeditions in there. And, um, yeah, I mean, a goal. I don't know if it'll happen. In, definitely not in the next near future, but in a couple of years from now, I want to kite ski across Greenland. What, ab- what about you, Eric? It's a tough one. I think the big one, I, th- I think right now, like we're in this mixture of like adventure, entrepreneurship, slash like filmmaking, whatever. So right now, I think both of us are like, taking a second, like we really went hard in our early twenties doing our own trips that are all like experiences. And I feel like we got a bunch of those in the bank, like a bunch of good stories. So now it's like kind of like in our late twenties, I'm 28, science 27. It feels like we're like kind of going back to like school a little bit. Like we figured out like the adventure story part. Now it's like, let's really refine the craft storytelling. So both of us have been doing a lot more professional like production jobs and like in the outdoor space, working with natural that, National Geographic photographers, like a lot more things there to kind of like refine that craft a little bit. So I think I've got big ideas I want to do, like, but I'm almost like in this weird like hibernation mode right now where I feel like I'm just trying to stock up as many skills as I can to really knock those out of the park when the time's appropriate. 
Yeah, well, that's that's the way to do it. Is I'm sure you're learning a ton working with these other guys that you know I've been doing it their whole lives. Totally, totally. And there's things you just learn. That's, and I think we're both in that phase right now. Like Stein's going on a couple big trips uh, in the next couple weeks um, that are like all great. And we're still doing a bunch of stuff together. We just climbed and skied Denali uh, a couple weeks ago with uh, a couple months ago with um, the one like a guy from Shasta. Yeah, one yeah. Like a guy. Wow. And that guy, obviously yeah. that guy's an inspiration and makes me feel like total shit because <laughs> you know, I go, well, I look at this stuff and I'm like, man, I've got asthma. I could probably never do that. It just looks really hard. <laughs> and then here's this dude with, you know, you know, one and a half legs doing the whole thing with a smile on his face. It's, yeah, it's inspiring. It crushes it. To echo Eric's point, I mean, one of the things that uh, in terms of like that going back to school or whatnot I mean, when one filmmaking, like I have a degree in economics, Eric has a, has a degree in philosophy. Um, and now we're both in like film and media. But one of the huge wake up calls was like reading these books. Like there's this one called The Rise of the Film Entrepreneur and really turning filmmaking into an actual business. So again, trying to like use that adventure entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship and kind of like those storytelling um skills that we've been fortunate to kind of gather but man there's this like couple books and it's really eye-opening to realize that you could actually make money and eric and i no longer share a bed so uh, so we've been really working on that yeah actually that's a good shameless plug you guys should go to the uh next year the adventure the intrepid adventure film festival in detroit lakes minnesota that's yeah we just launched it we just launched it last year the first one we're going big this next year well, we'll, we'll, was be, that, we'll be there party. if that's in Minnesota. I would love to. For sure. Yeah. It's, that's easy. That's that's easy to get to. Um, yeah, we have, awesome. uh, we have some ideas of some films that we want to do as well. I mean, I did something caused, called Dazil, a film uh, driving my car across the country, just kind of on a whim with a buddy of mine. And I've done a few other different things. And I have this really big concept that I can, I can I'll text you about it off air or whatever. And it's all about exploring with the car around the world and stuff like that too. So I, I, I might check out that book. That sounds really, really interesting. That's a good one. And the other one, like for basics. So the thing, basically right around the time when we were trying to make full circle, we're like, all right, we got all this footage. Like what the hell are we going to do with it? I texted a bunch of friends and uh, they were a couple of friends recommended the book, save the cat, which is a screenwriting book. Mm -hmm. And another one they told me to check out was Dan Harmon, the guy who wrote Rick and Morty. Um, He has a thing called the story circle. And they're like these two basic story structures. And that's all full circle is like, it was basically like we did it out of a recipe book. We had the footage, and then we're like, all right, it needs to have eight parts. Here's the parts need to be. Do that. And that's why Full Circle flowed a little bit better than the other random videos we made in the past. Guys, uh, I really, really, really appreciate you guys coming to hang out with us on the podcast. I got to tell you guys one more story, actually. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Go for it. Just because it's, it's a big story in our lives that involves lots of bragging rights. And now that it's on any sort of forum, it has to be brought up again to rub it in Stan's face. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Let's have it. So when we were coming back from Antarctica, we got to go on Doug's trip to Antarctica to go skiing in 2017. On the way back, um, Stan and I are like on the boat going across the Drake's Passage, just like reminiscing like, holy shit, dude, this has been epic. Like we're like, you get to go travel. This has been such a cool part of life. Like, wow, what a huge experience, Antarctica. Like it's incredible. And then Stan and I are talking. I'm like, oh, I've been to six continents now. Isn't that crazy? And Stan's like, oh, no way, dude. I've been to six continents. I'm like, wow, it's awesome. And he's like, yeah. Um, it turns out I had to go to Australia and Stein had to go to Africa. I'm like, dude, what, once we hit that, we'll come into all seven continents. I'm like, that's awesome. But it was a little weird that, like, you could just tell right when we started talking about it, that it was like, 
I had to get to Australia and he had to get to Africa. And usually we went on trips together. Mm. And you could just tell something like broke loose a little bit. There's a little bit of like a competition starting to build. And we're <laughs> like, oh, oh, okay, okay you got to get there. So like this we was brought up and then like we kept kind of talking about it over the course of like the next year. And then it started getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and like more competitive, more competitive, more competitive. And then finally, like it got to the point where like we basically met with a sponsor and then the topic was pitched. We're like, oh, this is a thing. Like we got to get to this place before the other one. And it's like this competition we've been having. And it then next thing you know, it was like a full out competition. And then at that exact moment, Stein's younger brother, Thor, um, got to go on the trip to Antarctica the next year. So he went to Antarctica having gone to six continents and he also needed to go to Africa. So he and Stein were in the same boat versus me. And like, we're like, okay, like who's going to be the first one in our friend group to get to all seven. Um, competition keeps building. And then finally we fly to France. We had a meeting in France and uh, I walk by uh, Stein's desk um, and I look over his shoulder and he's like looking at flights from France to Morocco. <laughs> and they're like, they're like 20 euros. And I'm like, Oh my God. So basically we, I, we go through this whole thing about like, Oh, we have something to do this weekend. We got a meeting and somehow Stein did not go to Morocco that weekend. He like <laughs> just didn't do it. <laughs> not in hindsight. I was like, gosh, dang it. So he so, didn't go to Morocco, but like, it was a really close call. Did you, do you guys, did you, realize that and go oh that's not something we're going to be able to do together we have to go to a different place you guys are going to have to do something separate from each other after being yeah, tied we, at the hip for so long was that shocking and sad in a way or did it feel uh, we like we've done a couple it was more ruthless than anything it was like you know, <laughs> yeah i'm gonna be the one it was immediately like a competition there was like no empathy well no mercy <laughs> <laughs> so so it hasn't been completed yet nobody's nobody's completed so, that journey Long story short, this kind of continued. We're like, okay, yeah, like we have to do this thing. And then, so I had gotten offered a spot to be on a camera crew on Mount Everest, um, to be on the south side of Everest with the climbing crew. And we got flown to uh, Southern California and we had just met, we just got a brand new watch sponsor at the time. And it was all of our sponsors, Thor, Stein, myself. Um, and we were like, all right, yeah, we're going to be part of this group. We're all going to do this thing. And they're like, what ideas do you guys have? And I had the Everest trip coming up in full. I was leaving for uh, Boulder where I was going to be training with the team and filming them and then gone on Everest for, I was leaving in three days. And uh, I like, everyone's talking about ideas. I left the room. I come back upstairs and I look and Stein and Thor have their computer open and they're talking to the main guy, Ben Warner. And he's like, and they're, I look and they're looking at flights to Africa to go skiing <laughs> for while I was gone on Everest. And I was just like, something like knocked loose. And I was like, oh no, you're not pulling this one over me. Like, so I basically told Stein, I'm like, hey, um, I kind of have some family, like some personal stuff I got to deal with. Can you give me a ride to LAX? And he's like, oh my God. I'm like, yeah, I'm super, like, what's going on? Like, no problem. So Stein drops me off at LAX. I met immediately the counter and I bought a round trip ticket to Sydney, Australia <laughs> to, for the, just the day. So I spent a ton, of, I flew from, Australia to Sydney and then I FaceTimed Stein and Stein <laughs> apparently like didn't answer originally and then Thor answered and like it was on Instagram live right after that so it was like on Instagram live and apparently our next door neighbor who like was three doors down heard Stein yelling the F-bomb <laughs> from inside the house 
so I did the FaceTime, FaceTime all from the Sydney Opera House. I spent like four hours, five hours in Sydney, passed out from the jet lag, and then immediately went back and flew right back home. <laughs> but I won the bet and lifetime bragging rights. Stein, I'm so sorry. Yeah, you know, it's all good. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Africa for more than twenty four hours. <laughs> <laughs> well at least he left the airport. If he just would have went to the, the jetway and like turned around and got on the plane. You know, he stepped on the earth of the Australian dirt, so at least there's that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but there's Eric certainly won, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The best part was we had to like every immediately afterwards. Everyone's like, "All right, well, here's the new bet." I'm like, "Nope, new bet, no new bet. I win." Bet over. Yeah, there's no really. It's not like there's another yeah. continent or something. That that you yeah, gotta come up with. Like, oh, who? Actually, Stein did bring up space, but yeah, that's first one. one oh, totally. Oh yeah, space and skiing. Well, you're gonna have to come up with a little bit more cash to go with Bezos to space. <laughs> I think. Yeah, exactly. Guys, never know. thanks so much for coming on. I hope you guys get to space. I'm really rooting for you on that one. First to ski the moon. <laughs> that I was bet, brought up. I bet you could ski the moon. It looks like there's a lot of moon dust. I bet you could yeah, do it. Yeah, down the crater surface? Yeah, why not? I like totally. it. Yeah. Guys, I uh, appreciate it. I really look forward to what you guys are up to. Let us know on this this film festival thing, the Intrepid Entrepreneurship Film Festival. I'd love to hear more about that as time goes on. Yeah, for yeah. sure. July 30th. All right. Take care, guys. Oh, hey, what's your what's your social? People want to find out more about you. Where are they looking? Yeah, mine's Eric Repka, so E R I C H R O E P K E. Yep, and mine is at Stein Retzloff, S T E I N R E T Z L A F F. And we will link these in the show notes in case everybody was like, "Well, I'm never going to remember how to spell it." We'll put in the show notes for you guys to just click on over, and you can you can check out some of their adventures. And we will post a link to uh, Full Circle and a few other things that these guys have done. Intrepid Explorers. Uh, expedition uh addicts and, and i think what you guys do is awesome i love that you guys explore and do things and inspire everybody else to do things even if it's on a much smaller scale very thank great. you very much for having us all right man take care we'll talk to you guys later awesome nice <laughs> to talk to you guys all right bye-bye yeah thank you Bye. all right jake i have a new descriptor for this podcast what's that i will tell you after we talk a little bit about Oberk Car Care. Yes, Oberk Car Care is your source of professional detailing compounds and supplies that's researched, tested, and developed right here in the U.S. by detailers who are passionate about what they do. And it makes an awesome product. They have their two-step cut and buff finish system, which comes with its own buffing pads. It's kind of a foolproof setup for yep. someone like me who doesn't know what the heck they're doing. Or me. I don't know what I'm doing either. With detailing. Yeah. And it's great products. Right now, they're offering whopping 20% off, Chris. 20% off any of their products when you use the code OVERCREST. That is good not only on detailedimage.com, obercarcare.com, carsuppliesweros.com. They are all over the place, and that code is good wherever you shop. Check them out today. All right, so what I, you know, we've interviewed some pretty interesting, I mean, we had Brandon on the other week, we'd have James Barkman on, we've, you know, we've had uh, Eric and Stein on now, and the, the ability to, like, explore and throw everything to the wind and go out there right. is really, really inspiring. So the new the new thing about the podcast is to, we'll have people on that will do all the things that I will never do. But, but, yeah. but <laughs> and, I, and I mean that in jest. However, most people will never do oh, 100%. any of this stuff. But like I said, I think it's really great if everybody can take a small piece of this yes. and bring it into their lives and go explore and do something. 
it, it really is inspirational. And the whole time I was like, that is so cool. And I wish I had those experiences, but I, even if I was, you know, 21 again and had all the time in the world in their same exact circumstance, I know I wouldn't, I wouldn't. And I, and I know that I don't have the, it takes a, a specific person to do right. it. It's a, it's a very unique, uh, mental state that you're able to put yourself in to overcome and persevere on something that's optional. Right. Correct. So these are 100%. these are these are experiences that are optional. You're suffering on purpose. You know, the, <laughs> the human the human being has a it's a high limit for perseverance if you have to do something. Oh yeah. If you must persevere, if you have to do it. People have done amazing things and almost anybody is capable of amazing things. Right. But when it's choice and you can and you can tap out anytime you want to or you can quit and or still, you can choose to go on vacation instead of do that. Or you can maybe not roll tires next to the <laughs> to the river. Oh, a, I would have been out so quick. I would have seen them drinking beer with the like babes in bikinis. I went, you guys keep yeah, going the next 20 miles. Swimming. This is dumb. I'm going to go swim, drink beer with these people. Swimming down the river. Anyway, guys, that's all we have time for today. I don't know what we have going on next week. I suspect it's going to be a story by Jake. Yeah. I know he's been working on a few things, so I, I'm looking forward to that. I think it's going to be radioactive kitties. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but we'll just have to wait and and, and find out. All right, guys, that's it. We will see you next time.